another episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host Tom Gerrard. Before I get into today's episode, uh, I've got some news for you. Um, Bench Talk is having its first ever drawing night on uh, March 22nd. Uh, if you're in Melbourne, come down and spend the evening drawing, collaborating, meeting other artists and getting creative. Uh, there'll be some past guests from the podcast and plenty of art supplies and a great chance to grow your creative community. To find out more, sign up to the newsletter at benchtalkpodcast.com or keep an eye on the Bench Talk Instagram. Uh, today I'm here with one of my heroes, Todd Henry. Uh, Todd runs his podcast, The Accidental Creative, and he's also the author of four books, The Accidental Creative, Die Empty, Louder Than Words, and his new book, Herding Tigers. Hi, Todd. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here, Tom. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for taking the time. Um, so you're of, uh, you've had your podcast, The Accidental Creative, for 12 years, and you also wrote four books on the creative process. How did you first get inspired to start investigating and breaking down creative habits? It was uh, it was through painful experience. I think like a lot of people who end up you know doing what they do, they they start off just feeling some degree of pain. I mean, I was a create on demand professional. I was leading a, a, a team of fellow create on demand professionals, and you know I just noticed that we were struggling to stay ahead of the work and to stay inspired and not to get burned out. And so I just started investigating, hey, how is it that some, you know, some teams are able to consistently produce great work and others aren't and learn some things that seem to be working. And we started applying those with the team. And, uh, you know, this was, I guess, wow, like 15 years ago now. And uh, just started sharing some of those things with people I knew, people who were creative directors at other organizations and other places. And you know, seemed to be gaining some traction as well. So I created a podcast in 2005 and I thought, well, hey, maybe I'll just start talking about, you know, putting some of these things out there and sharing them and interviewing other people and kind of hearing what's working for them. And the podcast pretty quickly took off. And um, then, you know, a handful of years later actually became, you know, kind of became my main thing where now I primarily uh, focus on helping teams generate ideas and I help them uh, understand practices that lead to every day brilliance, as I like to say. So help them be prolific, brilliant, and healthy all at the same time, which is a really, really challenging thing to do. It's easy to be prolific and brilliant, but it's really difficult to get that healthy piece right, to be sustainable as well. And so that's really what I, I try to help creative professionals understand. Yeah, I completely agree. I, um, I heard you mention a while ago that when you first started your podcast in 2005, you thought you'd, uh, you'd missed the boat on, on podcasting, on the trend. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's so, totally true. I, I um, you know, and it's funny in 2005 to think, oh no, I missed the podcasting thing. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm on the back end of it. And I was like five years ahead of it or six years ahead of it, actually, um, which is kind of funny. But yeah, it, I mean, there were probably thousands of podcasts at the time, but most of them were tech podcasts, and they were uh, you know, podcasts that really were kind of centered on the interests of people who would be early adopters. Uh, there weren't a lot of you know creativity 
focused podcasts or innovation focused podcasts. And so um, was able to sort of attract a pretty loyal audience early on, which was wonderful. And, uh, you know, it's funny, many of the, some of those people actually are still around today, you know, tw- uh, 13 years later are still listening to the podcast. I'll get emails from them. I'm like, I remember in 2005 when you sent me an email about this episode. So it's kind of fun. You know, it almost feels a bit like a, um, a, a really sort of longstanding family. And every time I put out an episode, it's like a family reunion, which is kind of cool. Great. So when you first started uh, doing the podcast and, and putting your creative ideas out there, um, like were you aware that it was going to uh, be relevant to anyone working in like different creative mediums? Yeah, I thought so. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, again, I was communicating from the place of being a fellow creative, you know, and so really, I mean, I, I had a sense that I thought I, I couldn't be the only one dealing with these things. Um, but when the podcast very quickly gained thousands of listeners out of the gate, I, I pretty quickly realized, oh, OK, I really am not the only one dealing with these things. And, uh, you know, it uh, I suddenly realized that there's a, a far greater number of creative professionals out there struggling with how to be prolific, brilliant, healthy than I'd ever imagined. And frankly, back then, there, you know, now we kind of take it for granted that there are so many resources and books and podcasts about creativity and all of these things. I mean, it's really kind of a topic of major discussion. But back then, there really weren't a lot of resources. There weren't a lot of pod, definitely weren't a lot of podcasts um, for people who do what we do. And so you kind of had to piece it together. You had to talk to your friends and say, well, what are you reading? What are you seeing? Is there anything out there that's helping you? Um, I mean, I remember I was sort of past the book, The War of Art uh, by Steve Pressfield uh, by a friend. And he said, hey, you should read this book. And nobody had ever heard of it, you know, but he's like, but it's kind of this cult classic book that, you know, only a handful of people I know have ever heard of. And it's funny because now it's like the war of art is the Bible for a lot of, you know, prof- like creative professionals, like people, you know, re- tons of people know what it is. Um, but back then, I mean, there just really weren't these networks and there wasn't really the the kind of, there weren't the resources that we have now. So we're we're sort of living in an age of an embarrassment of riches, I think, when it comes to being creative professionals, because we have so many tools and so many resources at our disposal to help us uh, be better at what we do. Now, the real challenge, I think, is in many ways just kind of winnowing those down to which are the most helpful. Yeah. I, I tend to just take what resonates and leave the rest. I, um, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I have the um, same you know, theory when I, when I go to an art gallery or something, you, know, you go to this you know, big um, art institutions and you feel that you, you need to study and look at every single painting. But um, I just take what resonates and, uh, and, and just keep walking, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I do that with books too, you know, and it's funny, people often tell me, oh, I'm you know, trying to, you know, I'm trying to push through this book, trying to finish it. And I said, why are you pushing through a book? Like if you, if it's not resonating with you, just stop reading it. You're wasting your life. You know, like don't, you know, life is too short. There are too many great books out there to try to endure and push through a book that's not resonating with you. And frankly, even if it's one of my books, don't finish it. If it's not helping you, great, move on, do something else. Um, that's wonderful. But, uh, you know, I think that's a really healthy perspective, Tom, because I think a lot of people feel like, well, I've committed to it. So now I got to get through it. I have to figure out 
about how to make, you know, but don't just take what parts resonate with you and apply them to your life. Use them as inspiration, use them as fuel for your creative process. And then whatever doesn't just move on, right. And do something else. Now that doesn't apply to things that challenge you because sometimes we, we don't like the discomfort of being challenged. So we'll move on because we don't want to have to deal with the discomfort of being challenged. That's not what I'm talking about. You need to open yourself up to divergent points of view, different works of art that maybe challenge your perspective or push you to think about what you do in a different way. We have to be open to those kinds of things. But I mean, if, if something just isn't resonating with you, great, move on, <laughs> move yeah. on and find something that does. Exactly. I've got a hundred page rule with a book. If I'm not into it after a hundred pages, I, I just close it and move on. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah, I, sometimes I'll, I'm like 40, honestly. Like if I oh, get really? 40 pages in and they haven't grabbed me yet, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm moving on. Yeah. Um, I first started listening to The Accidental Creative while I was um, working in London. And um, I was working in graphic design there and it was really demanding. It was, uh, you know, I was, I come from Australia. I had taken two years off work to travel as well. So I got, got thrown into the, the deep end. And, um, mm. you know, sometimes everything was working well, but other times it wasn't. And, um, and through listening to your podcast, it helped me sort of deal with what was going on in my head. I realized that uh, it wasn't just me that was going through it and people, you know, other people were in the same boat. And it actually got me talking to people who were sitting next to me and, you know, started opening up going, oh, you know, how are you feeling about this project? And then, and then through speaking to people and being aware that everyone else is in the same boat, uh, it just made things a lot more relaxing and you could just you know you could open up to people and um and mm. lean on them for advice as well uh, well that's you know we, we do that we, we become so isolated i mean art is largely something that has to be accomplished on your own even if you work in, in a team um you know the, the creative work that you do is largely uh done in isolation you know it's your own intuition your own perspective your own craft that you're kind of applying to the work and your own perspective and so because of that, you know, it's, it's easy to isolate yourself, to become closed off. And relationships are really important. Relationships are critical. We need to know that we're not alone and we need to know that we're seen, that we're known, that we're believed in. And we need to let others know that we, I see you, I, I know you, I believe in you. I think that, you know, you're perfectly capable. Uh, I'm here for you if you take a risk and you fail. You know, we, we need those kinds of people in our life. But as artists, it's really easy to become closed off to become isolated when we do we can very very easily lose perspective mm. yeah how, how did you go about educating yourself on um all of these subjects well uh, you know again some of it was very hard-earned experience um and then a lot of it was frankly once i uh once i began sharing some of these ideas publicly it opened the door to have conversations with people i never imagined i would be able to have conversations with and i'm talking about you know researchers and authors and writers but as well you know also practitioners people who are in the marketplace actually doing it and talking with them about, hey, what's working? What's not working? What did you try? What what did you try that you wish you hadn't tried? What didn't you try that you wish you had tried? You know, hey, uh, creative people in organizations, what is it that your leader is not giving you? What are they giving you? What what do you wish they do more of or less of? And so it really opened a tremendous uh, window of opportunity for me to be able to have these conversations and to explore more deeply the dynamics of creating on demand. And so my perspective really was honed between, I would say, probably 2004 and 2009. Over the course of about five years, I began to distill 
most of what I was sensing and seeing and trying and experimenting with and teaching into a, a kind of a core methodology, which fortunately was right around the time also that I was presented with the opportunity to write a book, the first book, The Accidental Creative. And so many of those ideas are contained in the accidental creative. And, um, you know, the, the funny thing is if you read the progression of my books, if you read the accidental creative and then die empty and then louder than words, you'll see certain things in the accidental creative that are sort of themes that are picked up on in the next book in die empty, but they're kind of elaborated on and maybe tweaked a little bit and augmented a bit. Um, and the same thing with die empty and louder than words, because in many ways, you know, I, I think that some of these ideas are living concepts, you know, know, I, it's, here's a framework, but, oh, I've learned something over the last couple of years and I've kind of modified that framework a little bit. It doesn't discount what was there before, but it just sort of augments it a little bit. And here's kind of a slightly different way that I'm thinking about this now. So, um, it's been, it's been kind of a fun evolution of ideas and insights over the last, you know, 13 years or so of doing this work. Yeah, definitely. One, one of the, um, you know, the bits of advice that I heard from you, I read it actually in, um, louder than words. And I, I came across it right when I needed it because I was in the, um, in a bit of a, a pickle at work. But it was, uh, you know, the one that you got from um, Lisa Congdon that about the uh, being stuck yeah. in the bottom. The, the, every creative project is shaped like the letter U. And that, um, yeah, you know, can you just explain that? I think that's a really good one. Yeah, for, yeah, for yeah. That was a great, that was a phenomenal insight. Yeah, Lisa told me that, you know, she had an art teacher who once told her that we tend to think of creative projects like climbing a mountain, right? Like I'm climbing, I'm climbing, I'm climbing to get to the top. And she said, it's not that way. She said, the art teacher said, it's more like an inverted mountain. It's like a U, it's like a valley that you hike down into. And the problem is that we think that getting started is the hard part. If I could just get started, it's all going to be easier from there. No, it's not actually. Or, you know, finishing is the hard part. If I could just, you know, make that final push, that's the, you know, it's not the hardest part of, any creative project is squarely in the middle. It's in the bottom of the U because in the bottom of the U, you feel like you're far enough from the beginning you've got enough invested that you need to keep going, but you're far enough from the end that you can't see the end yet. You don't, you're not motivated by the end yet because you're not close enough to the end. And it's in that place in the, in the middle where we have to do a lot of gut wrenching, gut churning, um, decision-making, um, about who we are, what we believe about our perspective. This is where we started experiencing a lot of self-doubt. So we're beginning experiencing a lot of fear and we have to, that's why community is so important because we need community around us in the midst of the you, in the midst of the bottom of that valley, um, to help us push through those difficult times because it's some of the most isolating experiences that we'll have as artists are right in the middle. But if we push through the middle, then we start climbing, 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 we get to the other side and, you know, we, we reach our objective, we finish the project, whatever it is. But I find that very helpful, um, because I think that sometimes, I think sometimes we overemphasize culturally the importance of getting started. Just get started. You know, just get started. Just get moving. Once you get moving, it's it's momentum. It's going to be fine. No, not really, because there's going to be a point in the middle of the project where you're going to hit the second wall, right? Where you're going to get to the bottom of the valley, and you're going to have to have some people around you. You have to have a special uh, dose of motivation to push through that and continue up the other side. So I just I find that to be a very helpful descriptor of the process because when I'm in the middle and I'm feeling that way, it's nice to know I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who's ever felt this. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, you see it time and time again when you're working on lots of different uh projects. Like you know, so sometimes they just run smoothly, start to finish, but a lot of the time there is that that case where um 
you know, you start end, getting stuck in the bottom of the U and going, oh, I, I, I have to finish this. You know, someone's right. someone's wanting me to deliver this and they, they're going to pay me for it. <laughs> so you right, put right, it together exactly. and then, you know, you may, you may just take one really nice, a, good, a big deep sleep and then wake up fresh the, day, the next day or something like, like that. And before you know it, you're uh, climbing up the other side. Right. Yeah. But um, you've got a lot of good uh, like uh, like quotes throughout your books and like also on your podcast, like things that you've uh, learned from other people. Like, do you have any favorite quotes or theories that come to mind? Well, my 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 favorite quote probably that I've I've used many 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 times. Well, actually, I have a couple of quotes. I have. Can I give you a couple? Is that yeah, okay? Go for it. More than <laughs> okay. uh, One of my favorites I use all the time is Orson Welles, uh, the, the the noted filmmaker, said the absence of limitation is the enemy of art. I think that there's a misnomer about creativity that it's all about freedom, about wide open spaces, about you know venturing into the unknown. But the reality is that artists need boundaries. We need clear limitations so that we know how to channel and focus our finite attention. If we don't have those boundaries, it's, it's not really that helpful to us. And so that's why, you know, uh, if somebody who paints needs a canvas, they need the edge of the canvas as a boundary. There was one artist, I can't remember the artist's name, but an artist who said that they began every new painting by making a random line on the, on the canvas. And the reason they did that was to have a place to start, right? So that there was some boundary that was that was sort of bounding their their creative process. And um, so, I, you know, I think that that's that's been a really helpful quote to me. The absence of limitation is the enemy of art. Just knowing that boundaries are good as long as they're not too constrictive, they can actually be very very beneficial to us. Um, there's another quote that I use all the time when I speak, um, and it's really it's one of, one of my favorite thinkers, a guy named Thomas Merton, who lived in the mid 20th century. He was a mystic and a monk was cloistered outside of Louisville, Kentucky. But I think he said some of the most profound things I've ever heard about life and art and creativity and business even. I mean, he wasn't talking about business, but he was talking about business. You know, it's one of those kind of things. And, um, you know, he said, uh, and I'm, I'm going to kind of probably paraphrase this a little bit, but I probably can get it pretty close. Um, he said, there can be an intense egoism in following everyone else. People are in a hurry to magnify themselves by imitating what is popular and too lazy to think of anything better. Hurry ruins saints as well as artists. They want quick success and they're in such a hurry to get it. They cannot take time to be true to themselves. And when the madness is upon them, they argue that their very haste is a species of integrity. So the big part of that for me that really resonates is they want quick success and they're in such a hurry to get it. They cannot take time to be true to themselves, right? People are, are in such a hurry to be recognized as successful that they just they just copy everybody else. They just emulate everybody else, right? Um, and they don't take the time to be true to themselves, to think about what do I have to contribute? What is the body of work I'm building? What is unique about my combination of passion, skills, experiences? They don't, they don't do any of that. Instead, they just rush into the market, emulating other people, copying other people. And they might have a little bit of quick success, but in so doing, they're selling out their body of work. They're selling themselves out. And so I just, I love that because I think, um, uh, uh, you know, like, like Merton said at the very beginning of that quote, there's an intense egoism in following everyone else. You know, we follow everyone else, not because we're afraid of failure, but because we want the recognition. It's a shortcut to the recognition. Um, and so, you know, it's just a reminder to me to stay in my lane, to run my race and to be true to, uh, to my calling, you know, be true to what it is that's, that's being called out of me. Hmm. No, great. Um, do you feel that all of your, uh, 
your research and you know, writing your books and you know, speaking to so many different people, it's, uh, it's acted like a, a mentor for you and, um, and helped shape your own creative life and success? Uh, you're talking about a mentor in my life? Well, uh, like through all your research has almost helped shape your, uh, you know, your creative life. Yeah, I mean, I will say I, I've had mentors in various um, areas of my life, uh, mentors from afar, let's say, right? People who have shaped my my perspective from afar. I mean, I've obviously had many mentors in my own life and many coaches in my own life, and I've had um, people who have helped shape and refine my understanding of what leadership looks like, uh, what it looks like to bend your life around a vision, um, you know, what it looks like to be a father and a, and a husband, um, you know, both of those things and, um, you know, all of those things. So I've had mentors in my life from that capacity. I'd say from a, from a writing standpoint, um, the person really, I think I would say that really kind of changed my life. And, you know, this is not going to be a big, huge, you know, revelation or anything. But when I first read the book Purple Cow by Seth Godin in 2003, um, it really changed the way I thought about life and creativity and business and all of the things that I was being tasked with at the time. I mean, it really just transformed my perspective in some pretty profound ways. Um, and, you know, his books have continued to impact me in deep ways. Every single book has in some capacity transformed the vector that I am on. Um, so he is someone that I would say, you know, if we're talking about mentors from afar, I would say he's someone who definitely has mentored me through his writing and his work, um, you know, from afar. I mean, I mentioned Merton, Thomas Merton is, uh, one of my favorite thinkers. Um, and, uh, you know, his books as well have really, I think, shaped my perspective about what matters in life, what it means to be an artist, what it means to be somebody who's trying to do good in the world, um, trying to have a unique perspective, a unique voice. So I would say that he's also somebody who is, has deeply impacted my, my life and my, my career tra trajectory, um, for sure. Yeah. I think uh, you've been a, a, a big influence on me as well, you know, um, yeah, just for the record. <laughs> uh, oh, I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you. just through, like, you know, I've read, read your books and uh, listen, you know, I listen to your podcast every week. And I just find that you've uh, opened my eyes to a lot of different um, areas of the creative process that I, I'd never even considered. So, um, so thanks, Todd. Mm. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Yeah, no that worries. That means a lot. Um, so... Like being an artist, like most of us out there look to other artists and go to galleries to seek inspiration. Like, yet there are like so many different techniques for cultivating inspiration outside of looking what other people are doing. Like, um, what are some of your favorite tips for cultivating in inspiration? Well, I think you put yourself in situations that make you uncomfortable, um, but do, I mean, responsibly, I should say. Uh, but, you know, I think, you know, you need to, to venture outside of your comfort zone. And that, that's kind of a cliche. It's a bit of a cliche. But, um, you know, if you're an introvert, go to a dance club. If you're an extrovert, go to a museum and don't talk to anyone all day long. Right. But but try to find ways of experiencing the world in new ways to force your brain to fire differently. Um you know, that, that can be really critical. I mean, one of the, one of the practices that I've had for a number of years now is to take a walk. I take a walk, um, most day, not today cause it's, you know, almost zero degrees Fahrenheit outside today in, in the area of the U S where I live. But, um, you know, most days where it's reasonable to do so, I take a really long walk and it's a great, it's a great way to get my blood flowing, to think, um, and it introduces all kinds of stimulus into my brain right in the midst of the day, right in the middle of the day when, um, 
you know, when uh, I've, I've been working all morning and maybe I have a lot more work to, to do in the afternoon, but it's a great break in the middle of my day. And walking is a phenomenal way to um, spark new insights and connect dots. So uh, I would say those are two ways for sure is find some kind of stimulus to immerse yourself in, um, something that pushes you to be in an uncomfortable situation. And then, uh, you know, just get out and, and take a walk and just experience your world. And as you do, think about a problem you're trying to solve or a piece of art you're trying to create and just pay attention to the stimulus around you and try to figure out how does that, how might this inspire some kind of insight for the work that I'm doing? Hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I'm, um, I'm a big fan of going traveling as well. And, um, completely shaking yeah. up like you know being in a different city or go out in nature or just go somewhere that you're, you're unfamiliar with and and everything starts uh really standing out for you and you know you you see things differently you see you you know, you could be in a city but really taking notice of the architecture when it's like hey i've never taken notice of any of the architecture at home but suddenly right, you, right. suddenly here you are like, um whenever when things are different as you say when when you're in a different um uh, a different environment you start really uh looking at things differently and that's that, that's one of my tricks for um you know cultivating uh inspiration but um but you're the author of four books the accidental creative die empty louder than words and your new book hurting tigers i've been a fan of all your books and i'm really looking forward to getting stuck into to hurting tigers i've uh, i've been listening to uh you know everything you've been saying about it and it sounds like a great book um, can you explain to the, the listeners the premise of your new book? Yeah. So I, for many years, I've been hearing this phrase, you know, leading creative people is like herding cats, right? And it just always grated on me because, you know, it, it's a little bit demeaning. You know, you're basically talking about uh, how creative people are flighty, how they can't be corralled and all this. Like, no, that's that's ridiculous. Most of the creative people I know are highly competent, capable, strategic thinkers and they just happen to have a skill set where they can bring creative thought to the table and they have a specific discipline or craft that they're able to apply to problem solving, you know, to create value. And so one day I was giving a talk, uh, maybe a couple thousand people in the room, and I just said off the cuff, you know, you've probably heard that leading creative people is like herding cats. It's not. It's like herding tigers because these are powerful, majestic creatures capable of amazing things, but also capable of ripping you to shreds if you don't lead them properly. And everybody laughed and I thought, ah. I think I have the title for my next book. I think that might be the one. Uh, so it ended up as a line in the book. But basically, the book is about how to lead creative people effectively. You know, the, the, you can't lead the creative process. You can't manage a creative process the same way as you manage traditional kinds of work. You have to create space. You have to create rhythm. You have to create an environment in which your team can do its deep thinking its most important work, um, the tasks that they're actually accountable for. And so what the book is about primarily is how do you be the leader that creative people need? How can you be the leader that creates an environment in which creative people can thrive? And um, so, and fortunately, fortunately, um, you know, the, the early feedback has been really good because there's, there's not really been a book that's been written addressing this topic to leaders of creative people. And um, so people have been finding it really helpful. Yeah. And your, um, your, your three books leading up to, uh, to Herding Tigers have all been, you know, like three unique ways of looking at the creative process. Are you able to just um, break down the, you know, the synopsis of your other books to, uh, for the listeners? Because I'm sure they'll get a lot out of it. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the accidental creative was my first book and that's primarily about how you structure your life and, uh, your, your work to have ideas when you need them most. So primarily it's about, um, how do you develop a life where you're cultivating focus? How do you allocate your focus to the problems you're actually trying to solve? And what does it look like to focus effectively? How do you develop relationships that are stimulating, that help you stay aligned, help you stay engaged, How do you manage your energy effectively so that you can bring emotional labor to your work? How do you manage the stimuli that come into your head and help you, um, you know, that, that, that inform your creative process because creativity, as Steve Jobs said, is just connecting things. So how do you do that? And then finally, how do you manage your hours for effectiveness, not just efficiency? Um, and so that's primarily what the Axiom Creative was about. And then my second book was Die Empty. And Die Empty was about some of the places where we get stuck Um, personally and professionally, and we leave our best work inside of us where we don't engage fully and freely. And as a result, we get to the end of our life or the end of our career, even the end of the day. And we say, what did I really do today? Did I I really do any work that mattered today? Um, And this is a huge problem. So that was primarily what Die Empty was about. What are the seven places that we get stuck and how can we you know, move beyond them. And then Louder Than Words was about how you develop a unique voice as a creative professional, a unique voice being a unique expression. What is it that makes you unique? What is it that positions you to have a unique impact or to create unique value in the marketplace? And essentially, there were three kind of core areas I explored with that. Identity, which is about who you are and what you care about. Vision, which is about where you're going and uh, the overall direction of your work, and then mastery, which is about mastering the skill set necessary to be able to bring that work into the world. Mm. No, they're great. They're they're really great books. I recommend anyone out there um, to pick them up and uh, have a read. They really get a lot out of it. So as well as doing your your podcasts and writing your books, you, um, you also do speaking engagements to companies. Are these mainly aimed at companies in the creative industry? Uh, no, actually, it's across a lot of different industries. I speak across dozens of industries, uh, you know, healthcare, energy, uh, technology, um, obviously creative services firms as well. But no, it's it's across um, a lot of different fields. Yeah. Yeah, because I've, I've, I've found just, you know, with what I've learned through reading your books and listening to your podcast, it like, you know, all the creative areas are relevant to any creative medium, but I take it they also um, cross over to business quite well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's the thing. Like, you know, we're, we're all, I mean, people, we're all create on demand professionals. We're all solving problems. We're all privy to the same pressures and unique dynamics. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it is different when you're designing, writing, doing things of that nature. It's just a different animal altogether. So, um, you know, but yet, uh, we're still all creative professionals. I mean, we're all solving problems for a living. And so as a result of that, we have to be aware of how some of these dynamics can affect us. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, like pre-internet, like we had, you know, magazines and books and television, which were, which were all great, but I felt that everything was based around, um, showing the finished art and not really talking about the creative process. Um, right. Like I think we live in an age now where you could, you know, there's a lot more people speaking about and and show, you know, showing like giving more information around, um, you know, the thought process and you know different areas of creativity. Um, do you feel it's a uh, the current state of like self education is a, is a really um, in a really good place? Uh, I mean, I think we definitely have access to more information than we have 
at any point in, in human history, of course, but I think that we confuse awareness with understanding. And I think it's always going to be a challenge for us moving forward. Um, we think we're really smart because we're aware of a lot of things. And that's a problem because awareness is not understanding and understanding is not wisdom. Wisdom is applied understanding that's guided, is dehoxic, guided by a set of principles, a guide, guided by a set of understandings about what really matters. And so we have to as humans, we have to ensure that we're spending the time necessary to think, to apply, and to glean wisdom from what we see and understand, and not just allowing ourselves to fall prey to the notion that we know things just because we're aware of them. Mm. Yeah. Now I get that. So being so uh, knowledgeable about the creative mind, do you have any other creative outlets besides writing and speaking? I do. I, uh, I, I write songs. Uh, I, I'm actually a former, former musician. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but, uh, he was a professional musician in my early twenties. So I still play guitar and write songs and, uh, my, my son plays as well. So it's kind of fun to see that being passed down, uh, as kind of a family tradition. Um, and, uh, that, I mean, that's, I guess, primarily my, my other creative outlet. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's um, you know I I really enjoy that. I mean, I also will take on projects for the sake of uh, you know whether it's building websites or you know like doing sort of some branding design work or something just for the fun of it for other people because that's kind of my in my wheelhouse. Um, so I'll do that kind of thing as well just for again just for kind of like to challenge myself creatively, um, which is which is a tremendous amount of fun. But um, yeah, primarily I'd say that uh, you know doing the, uh, the 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 music thing is probably my primary creative outlet. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a lot of um, self-employed creatives who listen to this podcast. Um, you're given so much uh, you know uh, information and advice so far. Like, is there three bits of advice you'd pass on specifically to um, uh, self-employed creatives? Yeah, I'd say number one, you have to take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your clients. So make sure that you're managing your time and your energy, that you're filling your well. Make sure that you're staying inspired. Make sure you're staying connected to other people because this is self-employed um, creative. It's really easy to become isolated. So make sure you're staying connected to other people. Um, so that'd be the first thing. The second thing is make sure that you – the reason that you go out of business – because like it or not, pretty much everyone at some point goes out of business, right? It might be 10 years from now, it might be 15 years, but sooner or later, everybody goes out of business for some reason or another. Make sure that reason isn't because you run out of cash. Um, you know, adjust your lifestyle and adjust your expectations so that you have the cash you need to be able to weather the storms. Um, make sure you have enough runway. Make sure you've communicated. If you have a spouse or somebody else who's a partner, uh, you know, who has a vested interest in your success, make sure that you have had a uh, conversation about how much runway you need in order to make that work. So that would be the second thing. And then the third thing I would say is, um, you know, just keep your eye on the body of work that you're building and make sure that you're building a body of work that you'll be proud of. Make sure you're building a body of work that you'll point to and say, yes, that represents me. That represents the sum of my greatest accomplishments, not the sum of my greatest compromises. Um, make sure that your decisions every day align with the bigger value that you're trying to create as a human being. And if you do that, then you're going to you're going to build a body of work that you can be proud of and you can point to it and say, great, you know, well done. I, I did what I intended to do. I may not have done everything I wanted to do, but at least I built something that's reflective of who I am and not what everybody else expected of me. Yeah. Well, it's great advice. <laughs> Thanks. I'll be taking that on myself. Um, yeah. So now that you've finished uh, hurting tigers, do you have any uh, up and coming projects or plans? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm working on the series of workshops for Herding Tigers, and those are going to be launching over the next couple of months. So I'm very, very excited about that, and I'm already uh, working on uh, some new book concepts. So <laughs> we'll see we'll see what happens with those as well. Straight on to the next one. Yeah. Um, one, one thing I just wanted to mention as well is um, like something I've really got a lot out of, out of is when you release a book, you release a podcast to uh, accompany the book where it, where it breaks right. down chapter by chapter. And I found it um, to be a really... Uh, you know, really great tool to um oh good yeah like uh, i think uh anyone who's read any of todd's books and or, or looking to read them just um as you're reading the book it's really um really good to sort of listen to the podcast as well and you know sometimes you need to hear things twice and uh sure I, yeah I, th- I i just thought it was a really um clever way of doing it. I've, I've never seen it before um maybe it's something that a lot of authors do but uh, i haven't come across it so um oh well yeah. cool yeah Thank good you. work so um so where's the best place for people to find you online? Yeah, the best place is toddhenry.com. Uh, or if you like to listen to podcasts, uh, check out the Accidental Creative Podcast. We've been doing it uh, at least once a week, sometimes now usually twice a week since 2005. Yep. Um, and I love how you wrap up each podcast by saying uh, your cover band quote. Do you want to uh, wrap up this podcast with it? <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Uh, cover bands don't change the world. Uh, don't be a cover band. You have to find your unique voice if you want to thrive. Uh, I love it. Thanks a lot, Todd. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time and, um, and thanks for sharing so much great insight with my listeners. Thanks so much. And thanks for the work that you do. No worries. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To find out more about today's guests, go to benchtalkpodcast.com. There you will find all previous episodes and images of the guest's artwork. Also, follow us on Instagram, bench underscore talk. There you can keep up to date with all things that are happening with the podcast. Bench Talk's also streaming on SoundCloud and Facebook. Just simply search for Bench Talk Podcast. Or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review. It helps get the word out. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to tell a friend. Thanks again for tuning in and stay tuned for next week's episode. Bye.